attention patriots, this is the Chris Ann Hall Show. Who's going to stand up? Where are the lovers of liberty? I think that's absurd. It's ridiculous. It's unconstitutional. It's out of control. You think this is over? This isn't over. There's a liberty wave coming. I pledge allegiance to the flag of the United States of America, to the republic for which it stands, one nation, under God, indivisible, with liberty and justice for all. Rise and shine, liberty-loving patriots. Welcome to the Chrisanne Hall Daily Journal. Chrisanne Hall here, K-R-I-S-A-N-N-E-H-A-L-L.com, where we are liberty over security, principle over party, and truth over your favorite personality. Welcome to the show, my husband and co-host, J.C. Hall, and we endeavor to bring to you Monday through Friday on this Daily Journal and on the weekend as well, your current events from a constitutional principled perspective, not uh, historical revisionism and government propaganda. And uh, J.C., I don't know if you're aware of this, but uh, the Supreme Court has, uh, has accepted the Jeremy Kettler case. Really? Yes, actually, nice. yep, the Supreme Court. Now, the AmericanMilitaryNews.com is the picture that we have up here on uh, YouTube. So if you're watching us on YouTube, that's what it is. If you're not watching us on YouTube, remember, go to YouTube and go to the ChrisAnnHall.com YouTube channel, and you can see this show as well as hear it. And quite often, JC, you know, I've been getting lots of comments thanking us for having the YouTube show as well because people like seeing the the articles and the clips and the very text that we're talking about. I think it really reinforces more of our line that we are a teach show and not just a talk show. And so the Supreme Court is going to uh, hear the Jeremy Kettler case. As you know, uh, this is for a long time Liberty First listeners, we are we covered this case from the beginning. Kansas passed the Second Amendment Protection Act that said federal laws within the state of Kansas regarding guns were null and void. So the law said, signed into law by the governor, mind you, that if a gun or gun accessory is manufactured, sold in Kansas, and bought by a Kansas resident, then federal law does not apply because it is not interstate commerce. And so that's what we're dealing with now because uh, Jeremy Kettler and Mr. Cox, Mr. Cox owned a, a, a gun store. He sold Jeremy Kettler a, it's not a silencer, it's a suppressor because Jeremy Kettler had uh, ear uh, damage when he was serving in the military, so he wanted a suppressor to keep down the noise so he could keep up his shooting skills. The suppressor was stamped, made in Kansas. It was sold in Mr. Cox's store within Kansas. Cox and Kettler are both both, um, Kansas residents. So according to Kansas law, and according to the the terms signed into law by the legislators and the governor, 
This was an intrastate commerce, not an interstate commerce, so they didn't have to comply with federal laws. Well, the, the bad news, I mean, that's all great stuff. That's what all our states ought to be doing. The bad news is when this went down and the federal government came in and brought charges against Cox and Kettler, the Kansas government threw their hands up and left these two men out to dry. Those of you who know about this case know that I was very, very strong in my language about this. The legislators of Kansas, the governor of Kansas, the attorney general of Kansas entrapped Cox and Kettler to violating a federal law that they were not going to defend them in. Not all legislators. No. Oh, okay. No, you're right. Because there were there were four that actually stood up with uh Jer with Cox and Kettler on this issue. We actually went At least four. I yeah. There are a few more than that, but We actually went to the Kansas State House and gave a presentation on this to the legislators and to everybody in the state house. Uh, I was there for the sentencing of uh, Cox and Kettler, and the federal judge, J.C., was your typical tyrant. He said, J. Thomas Martin, I will never forget his name. Isn't that amazing? I remembered his name. J. Thomas Martin is this federal judge's name in Kansas, and he said to us in that courtroom, the Constitution means what I say it means. This is the judicial elitism, this, this judicial supremacy that, that we're trying to help people understand is completely wrong. So the good news is, good news, bad news, I don't know. The news is uh, the Supreme Court is going to hear this case because Jeremy Kettler and his attorneys filed lawsuit uh, in this matter against the federal government uh, for the enforcement of this law contrary to state law. So two big issues. Number one, Jeremy, uh, Cox, um, Jeremy Kettler and Mr. Cox were following the terms of state law to the letter of the law that conflicted with federal law. Second term, does the federal government have the authority to regulate firearms accessories. So the question before the court in the Kettler case is not do the, does the federal government have the authority to regulate firearms. Now you and I know they don't, but they assert that. Now the argument before the court here is that accessories cannot be banned by the federal government. And the attorneys say, if accessories can legally be banned by the federal government, then there is no limit to federal power over firearms because what's to stop them from banning ammunition, which makes the firearm worthless. So uh, at least at this point, the, the lawyers in the courts all agree that the federal government cannot ban firearms. They may regulate them, but they cannot ban them. But the question now is, can the federal government ban accessories? This is going to be really interesting, JC, because if you remember, uh, Donald Trump issued his bump stock ban, which is an accessory. Right. So if the Supreme Court finds in favor of Jeremy Kettler in this case, then the bump stock ban will have to be found unconstitutional by the court. 
you don't think that I have to remind everybody that all of this is unconstitutional, right? (laughs) I mean, all of this is unconstitutional. Yeah. But anyway, um, since we want to keep our eyes on this, and I will keep everybody aware of of what's going on. I think the sad part is the biggest... um, what what shall we call it? The, the the biggest failure in the whole scenario to me is the state. Like yeah. The biggest boogeyman here, the biggest bad guy, is the state of Kansas. Because even even now, even still, you you know you said good news, bad news. Mm-hmm. It's, yeah. it's it's not really good news. No. First off, uh, Mr. Kettler, as a citizen, should he should not be the one. Right. <laughs> in this situation, defending himself or what have you. Right. The state should have been defending their law. So, right. so it's, it's problematic from the get-go when the state passes a law and then it's violated. And this is a crazy thing because clearly the law was passed. I guess we could say the law was passed um, against the federal government, right? The the, the person that the, would the purpose be, was yeah, to negate the federal law. Yeah. So so the violator, right? The perpetrator would be the federal government. Okay. Right. So if you pass a law and you say if you do, you know, engage in action X, and action X is illegal, therefore you are engaging in a criminal act. You're a criminal. Right. So then we we're going to deal with. The criminal, right? Mm-hmm. So in this case, you passed a law, and then the only person could that could actually violate it was the federal government. Right. And they did it, and you didn't do anything about it. So if you're a regular citizen, mm-hmm. okay, and you violate the law, blah, 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 no problem. Prosecute you, right? right? But they said just because it was the federal government, then they said, no, we're not going to do anything. So, so they, well, but they here's bailed. the key, J.C. The state law in Kansas actually said that federal agents would be prosecuted by the full extent of state law if they were there attempting to enforce the federal gun laws contrary to the state law. So the federal agents moved in. The U.S. Marshals moved in. And the the state government watched a crime happen in front of their face and said nothing and then said, well, the only thing we can do is sue. When was the last time somebody robbed a bank And the government said, well, to the bank, you can sue the robber. That's all you can do. We're not going to arrest the robber for robbing your bank, for committing this crime, for violating. We're going to let you sue the robber. But who's, you're saying that they said the the victim could sue. Like, the state's not suing. Who is this? This is not the state and their attorney. This is not the state and their attorney. So they hung these guys out to dry and Mm -hmm. said, you know, you fend for yourself. So they got him into this mess. And then, I mean, these guys are following the law. Yeah. Well, and it's crazy because the governor uh, and the secretary of state, Brownback, Governor Brownback at the time was Governor Brownback, and the secretary of state, Chris Kobach both wrote Eric Holder very strong letters about their their intention in this yeah, Ko- law. Kobach tried to stand up, and then he was he was basically basically everybody else in the scenario, as far as you know, in the, the Kansas executive, power, yeah, the the governor and all those other and guys, the attorney general turned against mm-hmm. Kobach. So he was right. kind of out in the cold with a handful of legislators. 
uh, that tried to back this guy. Yeah. And then pretty much everybody else in the Kansas government said, that. Ah, so, you know, who cares? So now Jeremy Kettler is on is paying the federal government money on probation. The federal government has threatened Jeremy Kettler's parents that they must turn over all their firearms. If they don't turn over their firearms, Jeremy Kettler's not allowed to visit his parents. And while he's on probation, and this is the, like I, like JC and I are trying to say here, this is not necessary. This was all completely avoidable. So this is going to be a very big case to see how the federal government, how the Supreme Court decides to hold in these issues. Liberty's lobbyist Chris Ann Hall has now taken control. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. Chris Ann Hall here. And just so you know, our In Defense of Liberty training is uh, we, we have people signing up and we have very, very limited space. So please go to chrisannhall.com. You will not find training like this anywhere. If you would spend money to send your family on a vacation somewhere to, I don't know, Mount Rushmore or Washington, D.C. or Disney, this is a better vacation because you're not just wasting money, you're actually learning how to defend liberty. JC, this is another case that came before the Supreme, uh, that well, came before I, the district. You want to go I back? Want, I, well, I wanted to okay. ask, I mean, before okay, you let's move go on back. to something else. Um, I, well, the thought I had is just how tyrannical this is. I mean, yeah. consider the level of tyranny this thing is. It's not like, uh, it's not like Mr. Kettler was convicted of planning a murder. Right. Right. He, he, he didn't could lawfully anybody. own these he things. He didn't shoot anybody. He didn't rob a bank. He's a decorated veteran. Okay. They're, and then they're not even charging him or saying or alleging that the firearm that he owned was illegal. Right. Right? Mm -hmm. You're talking about a, a piece of metal that yeah. he put on the firearm mm -hmm. that is legal according to the federal government, and did nothing with it. I mean, he didn't do anything to harm anyone. So, right. so you think about that, and you're talking about... There's no victim in this crime, is what you're saying as right. well. Right, and so you take that and think about, we're going to, we take your firearms, we take your parents' firearms, we forbid you from seeing your own parents. I mean, yeah. treating this guy like murderers and rapists are treated better right. than this. So right. it's crazy to me. And here, so here's, and this is a question that came to my mind. This is, so he's not prosecuted by the state no. of Kansas. Right. This is a federal crime, right? Right, right. So he could, in fact, be pardoned by the president. Yes. Correct? Yes. Because this is a federal, yes. federal crime. He could be pardoned by the president. Now, I don't remember when the sentencing happened. Maybe it happened before... Prior to the prior to President Trump taking office, I don't recall. 
Uh, I know that there have been people uh, that had pa- Donald Trump knows about this case. Yeah, I know. Yeah. No, I know. I was thinking, Mr. Kobach has bring brought this case to sure. his attention. I know that that many residents, gun uh, owners in Kansas, have brought this to yeah. his attention. I know gun owners of America has brought this to his and attention. Maybe, and maybe they're kind of seeing how how this plays out in the court and yeah then, so i'm glad you said it that it. way know. jc because remember i said good bad who knows the the real situation here is what will the state of kansas do right what will the people of america do yeah. if the supreme court the supreme holds, monarchy if the supreme monarchy holds that the federal government is authorized to outlaw, to ban gun accessories. What will we do? What will the state of Kansas do? Because, look, let's make no mistake, this Second Amendment Protection Act passed by Kansas, the entire legislative intent was to put their finger in the face of of the federal government. Your laws can't apply here because you don't have the constitutional authority to or, or the jurisdiction to enforce them here. And if the Supreme Court comes back and says, and please tell me, I warned them about this. I This is something we taught about. If the Supreme Court comes back and says, you know, sorry, Kansas, you're wrong. Does Kansas then... Just simply lower, hang their head and walk away, drag their feet, and bow down to the well, oligarchy. Well, they will because they. Did, that's why we're here in the first yeah, place. Yeah, right. Because exactly. They, because they did that. Now, l- let me say one more time. I don't know if you've seen this or have this later. Um, I, I, let me say one more time. I'm not a conspiracy theory guy. Mm-hmm. I don't. I don't just automatically think of nefarious things going on and connect <laughs> connect you know six different events and say right. there's some central thing but in m- many of these cases man i have to really shake my head when you look at various simultaneous events because i don't know if you saw this week all of a sudden because here we have this going to the supreme court now all of a sudden a shooter shoots up a place with a suppressor and then hillary clinton and, and nancy Pelosi and all these guys are now targeting suppressors in in the media. So all of this is happening at the time that the Supreme Court is about to make an opinion about accessories and suppressors in particular. Coincidence? Hmm, I think not. As arrogant men tear up our constitution And from every direction we cry around You can't learn the easy way, you'll learn the hard way. Chris Ann Hall, she's Liberty's lobbyist. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. You know, summertime is downtime for a lot of people, vacation time and that sort of thing, the time to pick up a good book and start a new series of binge watching. But I want to encourage everybody to use your time in a valuable way. Go to libertyfirstuniversity.com, become a member, and spend 10 minutes every day or twice a week on some kind of constitutional training. How about binging the Constitution? Uh, we, we as a people need to be able to recognize these threats 
and then understand the power that we have to come against them. And I believe that we're really, really having an impact, JC. And I want to show you uh, this case. This is something that's in the news now. Uh, the district court in Washington, D.C. has uh, denied the uh, House of, of Congress, the, the House of Representatives, their injunction on Donald Trump's uh, use of, of, of funds to build the wall. Okay? So you have the they, House... They block... Say, say that in okay. non-lawyer terms. Okay, in non-lawyer terms... <laughs> You know, okay, so in non-lawyer t- lawyer terms, uh, federal j- or D.C. District Judge Trevor McFadden told the House of Representatives, quit your stinking whining, Trump can spend the money you gave him. Okay. Okay? And I, I mean, seriously, that's, uh, if, if I could sum up this opinion in those few words, it's, it's very, very literally, shut up. Mm-hmm. Stop your whining. The court, he actually says the court is not here to be drug into your politicized political battles with this president. And uh, he says, he says, look, if you don't like how the president is spending the money, then you can pass a law to take the money away from him. And so what the House of Representatives did, which... Okay, JC, I, I, this may sound a little confusing. So the House of Representatives, the members of the House that brought this lawsuit, alleged separation of powers violations for Donald Trump to take unallocated funds and spend it on the wall, okay? They did not challenge the constitutionality of the National Emergencies Act. Mm -hmm. But they said that Donald Trump violated separation of powers by taking unallocated money and using it to build the wall, which the court points out that the legislature's actually authorized to be built. So they gave the president, not, but they gave Barack Obama, the law to build the wall the president is authorized, well, the, the president is required to faithfully execute the laws that are constitutionally made. Right. Building the wall is within which, the... Which within Barack the, Obama didn't. Right, right. I mean, if you think about that, if yeah. they said, if Congress said, here's, here's the law, build the wall, here's the funds, build the wall. And, and if it's his job to fake, faithfully execute, execute the laws of the land... Well, he didn't. So there's right. another impeachable fi- offense yeah. on the incredibly extensive list of impeachable offenses against Barack Obama. Yeah, yeah. So, um, where was I? Oh, so the Congress does have the authority constitutionally to commit the, to do this act, so the law is constitutional. Right. So Donald Trump 
takes unallocated funds. First, he declares national emergency. Now, our Liberty First listeners know that the power to declare national emergency doesn't exist in Congress, and it doesn't exist in the office of the executive either. So the National Securities Act is completely unconstitutional. Or, I'm sorry. National Emergency Act is completely unconstitutional. I have a course on this at Liberty First University. Well, peop- and, and people... The answer constantly comes back with, the president can repel invasions. So it's it's weird because the national, if you look at the National Emergencies Act, okay, and that's what we're talking about, the National Emergency Act, unconstitutional. There's nothing to do with repelling the board. Those are two different statements. Right. So to say that he can declare a national emergency, he can repel invasion, those are two different things because... There's nothing about repelling invasion in the National Emergencies Act. So these people saying this obviously don't understand what the National Emergency Act is. And in a nutshell, the National Emergency Act says we are are enacting this law to be able to give the president this list of powers that are not enumerated in the Constitution. So it's the Congress says we can invent powers that don't exist and transfer them to the uh, executive branch. Well, we need to clear something up because the president does not have the constitutional authority to repel invasions. Right, so it's That's a congressional power. So for people who think that Donald Trump has the power to repel invasions, no. That is an Article I power. That is a power that is delegated to Congress, not to the president. And the president, you know, is commander-in-chief of the forces. He oversees the carrying out whatever Congress tells him or authorizes Yeah, but he, to he's do. not Just even like commander of chiefs of the forces unless Congress that's, yeah, creates right. a law that says he is. That's what I'm is. saying. Yeah. It, when you declare war, that's like right. saying, you know, oh, the president got us into war. Well, president's not authorized to do that. Yeah. Congress does that, and then the president carries it out. Right. But... I, I, it's just crazy the confusion and that people are constantly saying So this. yeah, So the confusion here is the House of Representatives says that Donald Trump violated separation of powers by spending unallocated money, meaning Congress has given money to the executive branch with no appropriation, right? It's just Which like that's free money. their fault. Right, that's, that's their, their And that's what the court That's says. a separate that's problem fault. in the first place. And Donald Trump takes this money to build the wall. They don't allege that the National Emergencies Act is a violation of separation of powers, which it is. Mm -hmm. So that's where the confusion comes in. Well, because again, that would point to Congress. Right. Exactly. Exactly. They're the ones that did it. It's interesting because if you're watching us now on YouTube, I have a quote up here from from the uh, judge's uh, opinion, which, by the way, is titled opinion, not ruling. Okay. Mm -hmm. I just want to make that clear. Um... He says, few ideas are more central to the American political tradition than the doctrine of separation of powers. Look at what he says, JC. Our founders emerged from the revolution determined to establish a government incapable of repeating the tyranny from which the 13 colonies escaped. They did so by splitting power across the three branches of the federal government and providing each the tools required to preserve control over its functions. And then he quotes James Madison in Federalist 51. He says, The great security against gradual concentration of several powers in the same department consists in giving those who administer each department the necessary constitutional means and personal motives to resist encroachments of the others. Now, What's this guy's name? What's this... 
judge's name? This judge's name is uh, Trevor McFadden. Yeah. He should be remembered for a future Supreme Court uh, yeah, well, let's not get too crazy about him yet. Just, just interesting. But he's still a federal supremacist. He goes on in the next paragraph, by the way, to quote the Federalist Papers again, Federalist number 78. Now, what's interesting is this Federalist number 78, for those of you who are Liberty First University students, you know this very well. Federalist 78 is Alexander Hamilton talking about the limited and defined power of the judiciary. And he says um, that... The complete independence of the judiciary is peculiarly peculiarly essential under the constitutional structure, and this independence requires that the courts take no active active resolution whatever. And he uses that to quote Federal 78. What's interesting, JC, is this quote is not even saying what he's saying it says. He pulled phrases out of this quote to to give the court an out, right? To say, uh, we don't have any power over what Congress, over these arguments between the House and the President. But in reality, what Hamilton is saying in that statement is, this is the one where he says the, the judiciary is the weakest of the three branches. It has not the purse nor the sword and relies on the executive to enforce its opinions. But now he's using that to say, hey, we don't have any way to be a referee in your political battles. So my encouragement is, even though he's taking it out of context, he's not using it properly, right? At least he's referencing, he's going to the Federalist Papers. Well, this, the conclusion is correct, right? Yeah, I mean, the conclusion is correct. Well, sort of correct. In this statement, it is correct. But the purpose of the judiciary in its check and balance is to in, is to be one of those check and balances to help ensure that the legislature doesn't encroach on the executive and the executive doesn't encroach on the legislature. It's one of the checks and balances. But as, as a... A, a court of what do they call a court of fact or whatever yeah, uh-huh. of, of, at suit against the two. So I mean, he's basically saying the Supreme Court is not, you know, so the house the house can sue the president for taking their power, and and then the Supreme Court is the one who decides the case. Yes. Yes. That's that what he's saying. We're, that's not our role. Well, that it, no, it's not exactly. He's saying when it's a political argument. He's saying this is not a constitutional argument. Okay, this is a political argument because there's been no constitutional transgression here. Remember, the okay. National Emergencies Act is not under contention here. It's the spending of the money. And he's saying, look, this is not a constitutional issue. This is a political issue. And the Supreme Court doesn't get involved in your political or the, the, the federal judiciary doesn't get involved in your political fights. So, I mean, that's just it, it's interesting. It's a very parsing of words. And the, and the opinion is long. We don't get we're not going to get into the whole thing. But anyway, uh, he points out Congress passed a joint resolution to void the president's national emergency declaration. Explaining the vote, Speaker Nancy Pelosi remarked that we would be, I I can't hardly even say this with a straight face. Nancy Pelosi, I'm quoting Nancy Pelosi. We would be delinquent in our duties as members of Congress if we did not overturn what the president is proposing. He is asking each and every one of us to turn our backs on the oath of office that we took to the Constitution of the United States. 
She made that speech on the floor, when in reality, it is the National Emergency Act created by Congress that violates the Constitution to begin with. And of course, they're not going to be they're not going to be going against that because that would point again, as JC said, the finger at them and not at the President of the United States. Welcome back to the Chris Ann Hall Daily Journal. We're talking about how the district court in in, uh, Washington, D.C. has overturned or, or has denied the House petition to block Donald Trump's spending of unallocated funds to build the wall. He says, were it to rule on the merits of the case, the court would not be deciding constitutional issues as a last resort. Instead, intervening in a contest between the House and the president over border wall, over, over the border wall would entangle the court in a power contest nearly at the height of its political tension and would risk damaging the public confidence that is vital to the functioning of the judicial branch. So I think that answers your question, right, JC? Okay. Mm -hmm. So then he goes on to quote Marbury versus Madison, uh, that the providence of the court is solely to decide on the rights of the individuals, not to inquire how the executive or the executive officers perform their duties, which they have a discretion. So the uh, the argument here is this falls within the discretionary power of the president. Right, that's what I was trying to get at. Yeah. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So he's like basically saying... You know, they have enumerated powers, they mm-hmm. have duties, and it's not our business, you know, to, to talk about how right. they carry them out. Right, right, exactly, exactly. It's so, either authorized or it's not authorized. It's either period. authorized. And and the funny thing is, because they didn't challenge the constitutionality of the National Emergency Act, there's no constitutional issue here. Yeah. So that's why the court's like, no, you know what? I'm not going to get entangled in your political battles. And I love that the court recognizes that this is a political battle. This is a personality battle. Yeah, this is not a constitutional battle. Because it's an interesting argument, even even when we, you know, we've said before, like, like and I, somehow people can't hear this. It, it's bizarre to me. But as you've said many times, it's not an argument about whether the president, you know, can carry out the uniform rules of naturalization, you mm-hmm. know, secure the border and what have you. Yeah, do that. The, the laws have already been passed. What your argument was, he doesn't need emergency, national emergency to be able to do what he's already right. already authorized he's to do. All, yeah. Just do it. Right. And ignore Nancy Pelosi. Um, but but people even within the argument say, well, but that doesn't, that doesn't, it doesn't say he could build a wall. Well, that's kind of the thing when he points to Justice Marshall. Like, okay, you've been given the duty to do this. Well, yeah, they passed, Congress latter- passed the law but, to build the yeah, wall. Yeah, but even aside that, right, which is it's hypocrisy right. there. But, but nevertheless, within the duties, there's still latitude, right, as to how you carry that out right. to the extent that you're not violating someone's fundamental rights. And that's what this judge says to the House. If you don't like how the executive is carrying out your 
order to do this via via law, yeah. then create legislature to to constrain, guide, and direct. Create the law. He's he says don't don't do give away money. But the don't problem just is, say do this and not yeah. give direction. And, but the problem is, you know, with the Congress, mm-hmm. you can't tell one president to build a wall, and then you say because it's this president, he can't build the wall. I mean, right. to me, this is this well, goes to the height of well, the political tribalism. I thought I thought you were going to say the problem is if Congress takes more uh, a direct oversight over the issue, yeah. then the fingers they'd have will the they'd have to take the responsibility for yeah, it and the true. accountability for it as well. well. We've talked about that many times. Mm-hmm. That's the game that they play. Uh, you know, on the one hand, they hate President Trump, but on the other hand, they love that he's there mm-hmm. because they get to blame him mm-hmm. for so many things where they are the root of the problem. So uh, every Congress, every opposition Congress loves to point the finger at the president, no matter who the president is, no matter what side either one is on. Mm-hmm. They love to have the president as a foil for their for their own problems. And really, when we look at most of the things going on, most of the issues that we deal with in the political realm uh, from day to day in this government, nine times out of ten, mm-hmm. it's something that goes back to Congress yeah. being derelict in their responsibilities. I want to end the show with some encouragement, JC. I got this little note on Facebook from Lilith Leonard. She said, in 2014, I failed constitutional law. That I meant that mean, meant I failed 2L. She was in law school, which meant I had to take retake the whole year. I didn't have the money, so I had to take time off to get it together. During that time, I saw you speak in Washington on state sovereignty and the genealogy of the Constitution. When I retook 2L, I went in with a better understanding of the Constitution, and she passed. And she is now 20 days away from graduating from law school. This is the power of education and truth. God bless you. Thank you, Lilith. We will see you all next time.